what I've realized with socializing in school is that it's very fabricated. And, and again, it's, it's changed a lot since you and I were in school. Like now things are, um, there's a quote in my book that says that, you know, kids nowadays in school have twice as many restrictions as incarcerated felons, which is insane. It's insane. Hello, everybody. You are listening or watching Chatting with Candace. I'm your host, Candace Horback. Before we jump into the episode, if you could hit that like and subscribe button wherever you are listening or watching, that would help me out a lot. It would help you out a lot so you don't miss a single episode. This week, we have Anna Fabrega on. Anna is a former teacher. She taught in New York, Boston, and Panama. She quickly left the traditional teaching models to become an entrepreneur. And she is the chief evangelist at Synthesis and author of The Learning Game. I was really excited to have Anna on, and I feel like this whole theme of education and childhood development just kind of came up out of nowhere in the perfect timing for me and my family as we're trying to figure out what we are going to do with our littles in school. So hopefully you find some really inspiring information in this content. You learn something new. Check out the book. I just know it's going to be incredible. I just ordered mine right before I hopped on with Anna. So without further ado, please help me welcome Anna Fabrega. Anna, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm so glad that the timing worked out. As I was just saying, I think everything was meant to be because we accidentally stumbled upon this theme of education and childhood development, unlearning, school, all of the things. So this episode is just going to fit in perfectly with the next few. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me, Candice. I look forward to this conversation. So it's like where to begin, right? Like where to begin? Because education is one of those like ships that seem is so hard to steer that by the time you start wanting to correct for the obstacle ahead, that it's kind of too late. So I guess let's start with your journey with education. I was looking a little bit into your story and I resonated pretty deeply with you moving around a ton. I did as well. And I don't know what your experience was like. I hated that. I hated moving around a ton. My experience within the education system was abysmal and we can definitely get into that. But I guess let's start with your journey. Yeah. So, um, so I was born in Panama, but then we, when I was a few months old, we started to jump around because of my dad's job. So by the time I was 14, I had lived in, um, 10 different, in seven different countries and I I had attended 10 different schools. And like you mentioned, some were traditional schools, um, non-denominational, some really, really religious schools, some that were a little bit more progressive, but I actually did not get a chance to go to a Montessori, which is something that, you know, I kind of wish I had. But but it really, like you said, at the time, it was really challenging. I guess I guess my experience was a little bit more positive because my mom did an excellent job kind of framing um, all the moves and everything was sort of like an adventure and something to be excited about. And so I think that kids really emulate their parents and their attitudes. And so I really absorbed that energy that my mom has. We were very much alike. And so, however, you probably know this as well, um, being the new girl over and over and over again is really challenging. So I found myself always trying to fit in and sort of trying to say the right things and and trying to please people. And, and you know, um, and I did have my own personality and everything, but at the same time, it's it's inevitable, right? When you're constantly moving, you you want to have friends and you want to kind of like adjust and and adapt to your new environment. So, so that's that. But then, and I realized this as an adult, right? But I 
in order to adapt to the academic expectations, you know, sometimes I was pulled out in the middle of a school year. Sometimes it was, you know, towards the end. Sometimes I had to skip grades or repeat grades. So it was like I was all over the place, right? And so in order to navigate a very flawed system, which we will be talking about in a bit, I had to pick up on what I talk about in my book. My book's called The Learning Game. Um, I picked up on, on, on the game of school. So the game of school is probably going to be familiar to you and to a lot of people is sort of what are the things that you need to do, that students need to do in order to check all the boxes and not get in trouble and pass the tests and advance to the next grade level. Um, so it looks like, you know, sit down, be quiet, sit still, you know, raise your hand for that participation grade every now and then so that you know, it appears as if you're paying attention, make sure that you don't question your teacher or authority so you don't get in trouble. Um, you kind of pick up on a little strategy to pass the test and the multiple choice. And, and it's sort of the things that I did um, and that a lot of kids do to get the school learning out of the way so that you can actually get to do the things that you want to do as a kid, right? Which is when you're exploring on your own, when you are letting your curiosity unleash, when you are doing things and exploring things without the fear of being judged by, you know, a teacher, a parent, or a grade. And I think that that's when real learning happens. I think that what happens in school is really an imitation of learning. And we'll, we're going to talk about that more as well. But I ended up playing this game over and over and over again until I graduated high school, and I became really good at it. But I didn't really enjoy it, right? What I enjoyed was, again, what was happening outside of school that my mom um, really facilitated all those um, real authentic learning experiences outside of school. And so I had this like natural desire to explore things and, and learn about everything. I was so curious and I loved talking and explaining what I was learning to everybody, even those who weren't interested. Um, and so I thought, you know, I, I want to become an educator. I want to work with kids. I find them fascinating. I think that um, it's something worth spending my time doing. And and I get to learn so much from kids every day, right? Like you have kids, I, I believe, right? Yes. So they're 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 like they're like teachers, right? They, they're here to teach us, I believe, more than we teach them. And so um, I was very excited about working in education, becoming a teacher first. And so when I was going through my undergraduate studies, I went to NYU and I studied childhood education, special education, and psychology. And as part of the program, I had to student teach, I think it was over 200 hours in different placements in schools around New York. And I got to really observe kids from the, you know, for the first time in a very passive way, you know, like from the back of the class classroom for hours and kind of seeing the, the different dynamics. And keep in mind that this were like different schools and different grade levels around the city. And, and that's when it dawned on me, right? Like all these kids or most of them were playing the game of school, right? They were not really engaged on what was happening. They were not excited to learn. They were not really, things weren't really sticking after the test. They were merely going through the motions and they all knew what to do, not to get in trouble, how to please their teachers, what to do to pass the test, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, wow, like here's where we're stuck in education. It was sort of like the first time that it hit me, right? Like I recognized the game. I was an expert in it myself, right? But I hadn't quite realized that it was universal. And so I realized like we're stuck, The you know, education is stuck because kids are imitating their teachers instead of 
thinking for themselves. They're learning how to fit in and please everyone instead of like learning how to stand out, which is what the world rewards people for, and how to do their own thing and how to sort of like double down on their strengths. Like, no, they spend so much time, you know, teachers trying to remediate their weaknesses and finding what's wrong. And, you know, they're learning how to follow instructions instead of how to figure things out for themselves when, you know, the real world doesn't come with instructions. And as we've seen with the pandemic and everything, it's chaotic and everything's constantly changing. So I feel like, you know, they're, they're not really learning how to be prepared for this kind of world that, that, that they're going to be going to. And so I just became really discouraged because um, I realized it's going to be very hard to make a difference, right, or, or, or make an impact within the system. But I was like, I'm going to try my best. You know, I, I think I can do things differently in my classroom. And so I then became a teacher and I taught in New York, in Boston and in Panama for um, about five years. And I, I did things differently in my classroom. I tried my best to create an environment that was welcoming, that the kids were super excited to come to school every day. And I did this by giving them tons of choices and accountability and making them part of, you know, the decisions that we made in the classroom. I wasn't sort of like the sage and stage, the, you know, the one that was like imparting all the knowledge. I, I was like, no, we're constructing this together. You guys get to teach me. I get to teach you. We're doing this. It's a collaborative effort. And that really empowered them to take ownership over their learning. I try to deviate from the curriculum as much as I could, although I didn't do it nearly as much as I would want, you know, w- would have wanted to, in order to focus on the things that I saw that they were already interested in and curious about and that they wanted to learn, you know, I didn't have to force them to learn about these things, like they were just sponges, right, like the way kids are. And so we were able to do that. And and kids were excited when they were in my class. But then I noticed that as time went by, and they went on to different grades and different teachers, even though they had great teachers, as kids got older, they would start to lose that spark, that we're all born with, right? That desire to learn, that, you know, lifelong learning attitude and that curiosity and that, you know, asking all these questions. And, you know, they they kind of forgot the joy and the things that they used to love in my classroom, like reading and math and writing. And I was like, well, what's going on? So I started to ask a lot of questions, right? And I started to sort of dig into the history of education and where did this come from and why do we do the things the way we do? And, and so sort of like, what are the alternatives? And it turns out that kids are, we are designed to learn, right? Like that's how humans are, are, are born. Like we want to learn about everything. And, you know, I have a 10 month old right now and, and, I, and I see him and he's constantly learning. He wants to touch everything. He wants to break everything. He's, he can stay with something for like long time trying to figure it out and, and he's not scared and he takes risks. And it's like, he just wants to learn about everything, right? And he doesn't talk yet, but I'm sure that once he starts, he's going to be asking why and, you know, all the things that kids naturally do what happened that's them wanting to learn right that's that long like lifelong learning attitude but then what happens is we put them into this like structured environments that go against everything we know about kids and how they learn and how they develop, right? Um, We no longer let them ask all the questions that they have. We force them to sit still when we know that kids need to be releasing so much energy and running around until they're exhausted. But no, we instead put them, we ask them to sit up, to, you know, be quiet, not ask questions for hours a day. Of course, they start like fidgeting, of course. And then we're like, oh, they have ADHD or, you know, and it's like, no, right. And then here's your label or, oh, you, you can't read by seven. Um, there's this rule, made up rule, because if you look at the research, <laughs> there's no research that backs this up. There's a ton of research that shows how everyone matures at different paces and learns how to read at different paces. Yet in school, we're like, oh no, if you don't read by seven, you know, reading remediation group, and here's your label, and here's your label. And so 
all these things that come naturally to kids, suddenly they have no choices over what they're learning, how they're assessed, you know, how they dress to go to school, you know, with the uniforms. Like, there's so many things that that are imposed in them that, of course, no wonder they lose interest and they stop playing the game of learning that comes naturally to them and they start playing the game of school. They're trying to survive a flawed system. And so... As I started to realize this, I also realized, you know, it doesn't matter how much I try, I'm not going to be able to make a difference within the system because it's a, something that has been around for so many years. There's, it has so much bureaucracy and structure and people and, and stakeholders and, 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 you know, there's a lot of politics involved. Like, it's really hard to make things move on a different direction. And so I was like, I'm better off leaving the system and trying to explore alternative learning experiences. And I wasn't sure what I was going to find. I had never, you know, explored this world. And I was very positively surprised. And we can talk about that. But um, but but it was just very clear that that I had to leave the classroom setting, like that traditional classroom setting. And across this conversation, throughout this conversation, you're going to hear me say a lot, schools and schools, and I mean, like traditional schools. Of course, I am aware that there are many schools that are doing things differently. They're project-based schools, they're Montessori schools, and they, that have like other more progressive approaches. I'm not talking about those. I'm talking about like the, the traditional um, schools, right, um, that happen to be the majority. And so, yeah, so I ended up here, you know, this was like about almost four years ago. And I started exploring what, what were the options? Like how I started asking questions like, how can we go to the root of what makes kids excited to learn? How can we create learning experiences that are worth their time, right? Like it's their childhood years, their most important years. Like how should we be spending this time? What do we know about this world that's constantly changing that, that kids are, what are the skills that they're going to need in order to navigate something that's constantly changing? It's not, you know, all this like one size fits all curriculum because all that knowledge is outdated or it's constantly changing or, you know, they can acquire it on Google or, you know, a click away with the internet. So it's like, what what should we be teaching kids? So that's what I've been exploring for the past years. I joined a startup called Synthesis, which we can talk about as well. That's sort of like at the edge of innovation. So I went from being on one side of the spectrum, right, the very, very brick and mortar traditional schools to suddenly like being able to explore with all the things that I've always dreamed about. Um, and I think we're on to something really interesting there. And I was able to see that there are a lot of people working in the alternative education space and that the options are growing and that there are alternatives for parents. Even if you can't pull your kids out of traditional schools, there are things that you can do to make sure that they that you're preparing them for the real world and that you're restoring that love for learning that's been lost in traditional schools. And so that's what I talk about. That's what I write about. That's what my book is about. And and yeah, and I'm happy to talk about it. Oh my gosh, all the things. I have so many questions and so <laughs> many places I want to go. Um, I guess let's start with the, the traditional school. And we talk about these things that seem to like absolutely crush curiosity that punish you for exercising like autonomy or agency or dare you say sovereignty right like you are there is very much a hierarchy and you try to instill to the kids like you are at the bottom of the totem mm -hmm. pole uh so much so that like you can't even honor your body if you have to go to the bathroom like you can have a teacher tell you no you have to wait which is insane to me and some people might think that i'm being like over dramatic and all of these little things don't really mean something but I firmly believe and I will die on this hill that nothing is by accident all of this stuff was put into place for a very specific reason and you can go into the history of education and it goes 
like pre-industrial era, right? Like, Mm -hmm. so we kind of took that from the Prussians and what did the Prussians Mm -hmm. develop education for? It was to create good subordinate citizens for a dictatorship. So, Mm -hmm. and then we obviously took that, added capitalism to that, which I love capitalism, not saying like I'm anything but, but like it was to make really good factory workers so Mm -hmm. that bottom line was big and shareholders had their profits and yada, yada. So that was the world that was operating then. Fast forward two, three hundred years, here we are today, and we're living in a gig economy. We're living in a place where there's now a job called AI Whisperer, which didn't exist a year ago, right? So why are we using a model that was originated to create a good citizen and then a good factory worker when all of that seems pretty obsolete? And I think that a lot of people have this movement of like of finding your autonomy and finding your sovereignty and your power and all of these little things do matter to a young developing brain because they are a sponge so if you put them in this place for eight hours a day five days a week where they are being told don't honor your body or your body's knowing don't challenge authority don't ask me why just listen this is wrong this is wrong Um, even if you get to the right answer which is my experience a lot if you were doing a math equation and you didn't do it exactly exactly how they wanted even if the the answer was right they're like well you're still losing points and you're like this doesn't make any bit of sense so it absolutely needs to be i think just like torn down and rebuilt but i don't know how that even happens because we're forced to pay a tax to perpetuate a bad product that has bad outcomes and you look across the globe and if you look more like the Danish models, their kids don't even start going to school till they're seven, right? Like, mm-hmm. So this whole, whole idea that you have to be able to read and write and all of these things, mm-hmm. it seems like an immense amount of pressure mm-hmm. for what? Like these are the years that you are supposed to be creative and curious mm-hmm. and play and fantasy and all of those things and, mm-hmm. and test wild theories and not constantly be told that you are wrong or not good enough or that's crazy, that's stupid, that won't work. I mean, if you were to look at someone like Elon and say he wants to go and like have colonies on Mars, like you would be like, absolutely not. But try to tell Go that to the corner, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, you you get it, Candice. Like <laughs> everything you said, that's that's exactly the things that I talk about. Those are exactly the questions that I have. Um, and what I've been going crazy over the past year is trying to figure out, you know, why. And I don't think I have a clear cut answer. But if you look at all the other industries, they've all, you know, most of them keep you know, innovating and evolving with our needs, right? But like you very well said, education, we continue to use a model that was created 200 years ago. Yes, it's been tweaked a little bit here, a little bit there. In past years, we've added a little bit of technology here, but the outcomes are pretty much the same. And I would even argue that we've made things even worse you know, since the 1960s, where we we started adding all this um, standardized tests in order to measure learning, which originally were intended to have sort of a baseline, but then ended up just becoming the whole point of education to the point where everything revolves around these tests. And the kids sort of miss the point of learning, like they, they think they're learning to pass a test because they are. And, you know, that's how they enter gifted programs. That's how they go into remediation groups. That's how they pass grade levels. Teachers are ha- held accountable um, based on the, you know, results of their students, schools compete against each other, nations compete against each other, like everything revolves around this test. And that has really made things worse because if kids did not have time before 
or teachers um, to teach the things that, you know, that, that are not in the curriculum, but that we know that matter more, now is even worse. Now everything, you know, basically everything is test prep from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. The people that create the curriculums are the same people creating the tests. So you're basically teaching for this test. And when you look at, you know, the content that we're assessing them on, you start to realize that a lot of it is not even relevant to the jobs that people are having nowadays, like not even for like engineering jobs or like, like all this knowledge that we're making kids cram. And, and, and um, it's, it's so irrelevant. And so the problem is that we know because research shows that kids and adults and anybody that wants to learn something needs to understand the purpose behind what they're learning. Otherwise, it's going to go in one ear and out the other ear, or after the test, you're going to forget. We also know that knowledge decays really quickly, right? So if you do not put to actual practice in the next 14 days, what you're learning, you're going to forget. And kids can't put to practice a lot of the things that they are learning in school. So it just becomes a big waste of time. And what you're seeing is a lot of kids, and it's very tragic, graduating from high school without an idea of what they're really good at, what they love doing, what are their strengths, what they want to spend the next few years doing, what, you know, and and even worse than that, we've been watering down things so much and 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 trying to we think that we can't expose them to complexity as much or we think that you know we need to figure everything out for them we don't let them struggle and then we kind of pry them from a lot of the things that they're going to face as adults in the future and then when they're 18 we sort of like release them into the world and we're like oh be independent but we've never taught them to be independent because we made we made them be codependent for 18 years while they were under our you know in on, in the school settings we asked them to oh you, you need to know what to do when failure comes your way but we never taught them how to do that kids didn't want to fail in school because they know they would get a bad grade and get punished and that would go on their record so dare them like of course they're not going to take risks or brace failure but then when they become adults if you look at all the people that are really successful and happy out there and doing wonderful things for humanity they fail constantly but they know how to pick themselves up. They know how to learn from their mistakes and they know what to do and they keep going. They have that attitude of, oh, this is just another obstacle in the way. I mean, look at Elon, like that's sort of his whole mantra. But yet we're not teaching kids this in school. And so like that, there are a bunch of things like, oh, we, we're like, oh, we need to challenge the status quo and we need to do this. But yet in school, we're teaching kids to adhere to authority and never question anything and not think for themselves. And everyone, you know, there's a right way to do things. This is the way you think. If everyone agrees on an idea, then it must be true. And so then, you know, again, we're churning out all these kids into the real world and we expect them or, or they're faced with the reality like the whole world, it's like, it's very different from what we're teaching them in school. And then of course, we're setting them up for failure, right? And so back to your question, like, why, why are we still doing this? I think Mm -hmm. that and again, I don't have a clear cut answer. But I think that, you know, when you try to standardize a process like learning that, you know, in order to do it at at a mass level, right, and, and, and try to educate a whole population and do, of course, the idea behind it, originally was good, right? Like you want to do to, 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 yeah, to educate a population. The problem is that you can't really do that when it comes to learning, because like you said, we all mature at different rates. We learn differently. We're interested in different things. Um, and, and the interest, the, the interest component and the curiosity component is key in order to learn. And so when you try to standardize a process like learning and try to make everyone go through the same thing and have all this common core standards that we need to adhere to and the, you know, you have this assessments that we assess everyone the same way, you miss the point of learning. It's kind of like we're so focused on all this like order and structures and this and that, that we miss the most important things, right? And so that's why I I think that 
the system doesn't work and there's nothing we can do to make it work. So people ask me and I have like interviews and reporters like, Anna, like, what are the things that five things you would do to fix the system? Like, and I'm like, I, I, I don't have answers. I left because I couldn't, I didn't see a way to fix it. I don't think it's about reforming this old structure. I think we need to, like you said, transform it. We need to start from zero. I have in the background, it says like rethinking education from first principles. That's like, you know, what my whole book is about. That's what synthesis is about, which is the school that I'm part of that, you know, Elon was like, we need to um, rethink education from first principles. What should kids be learning nowadays? Like, what's the best way to teach them? It's not giving them content, right? You give them a problem. They're going to face things. They're going to need information. They're going to need tools. They're going to need resources. That's when you introduce them to that. And so I think that we need something parallel. I don't think the traditional school system is going to go anywhere um, because it serves as a babysitting center for a lot of people. Like uh, the reality for most parents is that they have to drop their kids off somewhere quote unquote save because as we've seen in the past years, that's no longer the case for many schools. But they, they have to drop their kids somewhere so that they can go to work. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of parents just, they, they, they think that the only option other than school is homeschooling, which is not true. There's a whole range of options in the middle between, you know, homeschooling and traditional school. But anyway, um, I think that um, for now, the alternative education options, um, we're still growing this space and we still need the physical spaces to drop kids off with facilitators where they can be learning their own thing, but so that parents can actually go to work. So I think that the, the school system is not going to go anywhere. Also, it's one of those things that has been around for so long and that so many people just blindly trust and they just go through the motions because they think, hey, I mean, I turned out fine. So it's not the end of the world. It seems very complicated to take this upon myself right now. I have already all these things in my plate. I'm just going to send my kids to school and that's it. They'll be fine. Like they're not dying. They're fine. But it's like fine is not good enough, right? Like kids yeah. are the inventors and the explorers of our future. Like they deserve the best kind of education that they need, that, that they could receive. And so I think that what will happen is the alternative education space will continue to grow and the options will continue to expand. And, and, and we are sort of getting to a point where parents will have the ability to pick and choose from sort of like a menu of options and say, mm -hmm. okay, this is what works for my family, for my kids. And by the way, it may look very different from one kid to the other, right? Because um, mm -hmm. like we said, every kid is different. And so again, we, we're not quite there yet. Um, it is doable, but it takes, it requires a lot of effort from the parent's side. So a lot of people are not willing to do that. And so again, not a clear cut answer, but that's sort of where I, I stand after digging to the, the history of education, the way things are and sort of why we're stuck where we're stuck. Yeah, it um I agree with you. I don't I don't really see it going anywhere. I think that a lot of people what I notice with young people in general and then also young parents, it's we we've lost faith within ourselves. We have so much self-doubt that we can't do better than someone else, so we put the responsibility elsewhere because for some reason we think it's it's going to lead to more success than if we handled the issue ourselves. So you can, you know, maybe even stem that back to how we were raised in our school and the parenting styles that were very popular back in the 90s. But my husband and I, I love that you said it's not good enough and that shouldn't be okay, right? Like mm -hmm. the school system is not good enough and we shouldn't be settling because they do deserve mm -hmm. better than just like it's okay, it's good enough. My, we were, we were trying to figure out school and still trying to figure out school um, for our oldest. He's three and a half, so we have some time, but we looked locally 
there's no perfect option. And then we're like, well, everyone kept saying, well, nothing's going to be perfect. And for mm-hmm. me, that's so frustrating because I'm like, sure, it's not going to be perfect on paper, but it can be perfect for him and mm-hmm. what he needs for it to like to thrive. Mm-hmm. And it'll be like one school is too politically involved and one school is maybe too religious for me. And one mm-hmm. school um, has zero technology, which I'd love to get into, especially with synthesis, mm-hmm. because now there's almost this opposing energy, which is all screens are bad. All technology, mm-hmm. all technology is bad. We're training the kids from a very early age to think that it's it's rotting their brain and they need to just be playing with wooden toys. And I don't mm-hmm. think that that's the answer either. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that's probably the camp that you fall in. Yep. So do you get do you get a lot of pushback with the synthesis model because it's like gamified learning and you obviously are embracing technology instead of pushing it away? Yeah. So, so the first thing I want to say is like, I, I think you're totally right. I mean, I, I, I agree with what you said. I don't think that there's one perfect approach when people ask me like, Oh, like what's that, you know, what do you stand for? Like, what is that? Is it, is it innovation? Is it Montessori? Is it Reggio Emilia? Is it democratic schools? Is it like, what is it? I'm like, well, it's a little bit of everything. Right. And it depends. I, I don't think that there's this one perfect thing. I think that you can find what works really well for your child and, and that can change. You know, you, you need to keep assessing and keep evaluating and keep reflecting because in a few years it may not be the best environment for that kid and you may have to switch the beauty of this whole thing is that i don't think that you know a lot of parents are scared they understand that the traditional school system is not working and they are they, they agree with a lot of the things that that we're talking about but they're like i don't want to risk it and that's fair you know i i I, I don't judge that fear because you're like well you know what if i what if i mess it up well <laughs> They're not, I mean, if, and again, let me make a small parenthesis because the school system, the traditional school system does work for a number of kids, right? But it's like a very small number of kids. Like, like I, I often talk about like my husband, he was perfect for the traditional school system. He fit in perfectly. That's his learning style. Like that's, that's how he, that, that's how he thrives. And so if that's your case, then wonderful. If your kid is happy and they're thriving and they come back from school and they're like, mom, I learned about this and I learned about that. And you see that spark in their eyes and they don't lose that, then don't mess with that. Like they're happy, they're learning, right? But if that's not the case, which happens to be for most of the kids, right, then you have to find alternatives. And so going back to what I was saying, I don't think that there's a perfect approach. I I've embraced a lot of innovation and technology because I think that that's sort of where we're heading. And, and it's tied to this whole idea of screens. And like you said, a lot of people have put like the big X, but here's the thing. Screens are here to stay. And actually, they're only going to become a bigger part of our lives. And there's nothing we can do to stop that, right? Like, like that's just where we're heading. So given that that's the reality, then we have to embrace screens and we need to figure out what's the best way to guide our kids because kids could, kids need a lot of guidance in order to navigate this world, right? Mm-hmm. And we need to be their allies. We cannot make screens the enemy or technology the enemy because then Remember that they're going to end up using it anyway. They're not always going to be under your guard. And if you don't teach them about how to properly use these things and how how to put the proper limits yeah. and how to think about this and how to how to um, develop that self control, which a lot of adults and I, I I include myself in the fact sometimes we don't even have. You know, you don't know when to stop scrolling, and these are all things that you need to teach them and you need to model from them. And we ourselves have to learn. But if we don't, if they don't have that, they're going to figure it out themselves. And I feel like that's a recipe for disaster, right? I feel like they definitely need a lot of 
guidance. And so making this world the enemy or trying to like cover it with your hands is not the right way to approach it because it will eventually come out and they're going to be using screens. And so it is our job to help them since they're young. And so, and of course there's ways to do this and there are parameters and there's certain ages. Like, you know, I'm, I'm not exposing my kids to screens yet because he doesn't need to, right? And so the more I can delay them, the better, but then it will get to a point where it's like, all right, it's time to start and 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 we're going to do this together. And it's going to be all within a positive attitude, right? So that So that he can come to me for help and I can help him with this. And so you need to take an interest in this for them, et cetera. And we can talk about that in a bit. But so when it comes, again, I, I, I think that I, there's, there's things that I love from democratic schools. There are things that I love from the Montessori approach. There are things that I love from, you know, all these innovative approaches. But then there are also things that I don't necessarily agree with. So, for example, in the democratic, you know, schools, sometimes I feel like they push it too much um, on one side where they give all the autonomy and responsibility to the kids 100% and there's no space for the adult kind of. And I think that that's when you start to go wrong. Like I, and these are not all democratic schools, right? But, but some um, just take it too much to the extreme, like Sudbury schools, which I love a lot of the things that they're doing, but then I don't, I think that there is a place for an adult um, and for a guide and for a mentor. I don't think that, you know, a four-year-old knows what they want to do in life or, you know, so, so things like that. Or for example, in, you know, with innovation and with technology and all this, I don't think it should be 100%. Like some people are like online learning, like it sucks. How, did you see what happened in the pandemic? Like kids in front of screens all the time. First of all, that's not real online learning. Um, that what happened during the pandemic is you just grabbed, we were all trying to figure out what was going on. So, so you know, teachers in schools just grabbed what they were doing in the classroom and they put it online. And so obviously if it wasn't working in the classroom, like a kid's not going to pay attention online for hours if he wasn't paying attention already in person around other friends right. and stuff. So again, people, I'm not judging because schools and teachers were trying the best they could given the circumstances, but that's not real online learning. Real online learning is when you design something from the ground up with a digital audience in mind. You would never design something that requires kids to sit down for eight hours in front of a screen. Like that defeats the purpose. That's not online learning. The whole point of online learning is to be able to condense all the learning into maybe an hour a day so that kids can have the rest of the day to engage in the real world and go play with their friends and do sports and, you know, engage in project-based learning and do whatever it is that kids want to do these days. Free play, get bored, whatever. And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm really optimistic about. That's why I think technology is so powerful. And that's why I'm I'm sort of like rooting on that direction because I feel like it's the way to restore childhood and give kids back all that time that they're spending trapped in this environments that, like I said, go against everything we know about kids and how they develop. And so that's why I'm so optimistic about technology. What we're doing at Synthesis is um, we originally started with um, the simulations that would teach kids the soft skills that they're not learning in school. So we talked a little bit about like how to figure things out. So we throw them into the simulations that are really complex and really challenging because we understand that unlike schools, kids do crave challenges and they want to be challenged, right? Like that's why they love video games. If you think about video games, video games, like video game designers never say, oh, let me design a game that's really easy. Nobody would buy that game. No kid would play that game. They play the games that are, you know, that they have to try so many times until they reach the level and it was hard and then they accomplish it and the next level is harder. And that's what keeps them going. That's what motivates them to keep going. It's not that they're addicted to it. It's that that's part of what intrigues them because kids love challenges. When they come with the appropriate feedback, when they know how to improve, when they're not penalized for failing, like these are all things 
that I love about video games because you're kind of reinforcing the things that kids need the most that they're not getting in school. And then we, you know, obviously there are other negative things about it, but I'm focusing on sort of like the things that we can learn from them. And so at Synthesis, they have to figure out, we throw them into the simulations where they have to figure out how to play these games, how to collaborate with kids from all over the world, different ages. They need to know when to lead, when to sit back and listen. Things are super fast. So they're constantly like speed, speed, like super fast because they have to think on their feet. They need to make decisions. Then they need to sort of shoulder the consequences of their decisions. So they're really learning how to think. They're wrestling with choices and and, and the consequences of their choices. They need to make trade-offs. So it's like they have stakes in the game, but the stakes are not so high that if they lose, they get penalized. If they lose, it's like, oh, okay, let's start again. Every three minutes, the game starts again. So it's like, it's not a big deal. So kids are learning that failure, it just teaches them what to do next. They learn from their mistakes so they don't repeat them. They are learning how to work in teams. And and I mean, like, very different from teamwork in school, which, you know, it's very wishy-washy. The teachers pick the teams. There's one person that sort of, like, takes the lead and everyone else kind of sits down and relaxes. And it's a way to kind of, like, waste time. And so, no, I mean, like, really how to work in teams. Because if we know something about the world that the kids were inherited, is that regardless what they end up doing, even if you go solo and, 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 you know, you do your own thing, you're going to have to work with other people. Mm-hmm. And, and especially, you know, the companies that are like doing the most innovative things and really pushing civilization forward, they, they're doing so because they are aligned on a shared mission and they have a people that know how to work together in order to achieve this mission. So I think that teaching kids that and they need plenty of practice with diverse groups of people from a young age is very promising for whatever they want to do in the real world. So that it teaches them the communication skills that they need um, in order to thrive in this world that we're, that's constantly changing. And so that's one product that we have that we're constantly trying to improve and make better. And kids love it because it's very engaging, right? They're very in control of their learning, right? There's no adult telling them or managing their choices. No. And again, they have real stakes in the game. And so they love making all these decisions. Then the second product that we launched is to cover the hardcore academics, because we know that, of course, we need to expose kids to, you know, all the different sciences and engineering and technology and, you know, math and reading. But how do we do this in a way that is effective, right? I don't think the way we do it is was effective. How do we do this in a way that, you know, kids can catch up and, and go at their own pace? We know that the best way to teach and learn is through one-on-one tutoring. Of course, this is not possible to do it in real life because we cannot get a one-on-one tutor for everyone around the world. But that's a holy grail of education technology, right? Like how can we leverage technology so that everyone can have their one-on-one tutor? Well, that's what we're trying to do with the new project part, product that we launched. It's called the Synthesis Tutor. And what it does is we've uh, we started with math and we found this phenomenal teacher, Dr. Tanton, James Tanton, um, who has a PhD from Princeton Mathematics. He's written, he's written 20, 26 different books in math. He's one of the ambassadors of Mathematics Association in America. So he's very knowledgeable in math. But more than that, he loves to teach and he understands the art of teaching because it's two different things. You can be a content expert, but if you don't know how to deliver that content or how to get the content out of the kids and how to sort of like navigate them in the right direction through questions so that they can get to their own answers and how to give the right kind of feedback that instead of scaring them from 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 looking at what they got wrong encourages them to kind of look at it and learn from that like the stories that make it relatable all these components are super important for you to be an effective teacher and so we found him and we've recorded him for so many hours i think it's like over 200 hours to the point where we've captured his essence 
but in an AI tutor. So it's pretty incredible. You really feel like you're talking and learning from a human. Like the kids call him Dr. Tantan or depending on the voices that they choose. Like, And it's a, it, it teaches in a very effective way. It condenses the whole time that's spent in school that's downtime, like in, in a few hours a day so that the kids get out of the academics pretty quickly. But what's incredible is that, you know, when I was a teacher, it was very frustrating that I could not sit with, you know, Candice until you learned, you know, because you, you would come to me with sometimes things that you did not learn in second grade or first grade, and you had all these gaps in your knowledge, but I couldn't possibly sit with you and every single student until they grasped everything, right? I had to move on. I had curriculums to cover. I had 30 students. I couldn't stop the class because other students were going faster. So it was super frustrated because I knew that a lot of my students were not getting the content because they had previous things that they had not learned. But now with something like this, with the digital tutor, it's infinitely patient. It can stay with you until you you've grasped you know those things that 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 you didn't know before and if you get it then it just moves on to the next thing and it does it in a way throwing you stories and throwing you examples and things that are relatable to you and it throws you jokes so it's really remarkable what we're building because it's that human element that's essential for the teaching and learning like kids need to feel and adults that there's a caring person on the other side that wants you to learn and so i feel like we're really and again we're in the early stages like the product still has a long way to go but it's still so good already like I'm surprised at how good it is at this early stages and and how effective it is so again I'm feeling very optimistic I'm very excited because when I met Dr. Tanton I was like this is the math teacher that I would want for my son and now not only my son but kids all over the world can have access to this so I'm very optimistic the only issue well not the only issue but one of the biggest issues we have right now is that it takes a lot of time um, to add content to the to the tutor. And so a lot of kids are just flying by it super quickly. And so our, we're aiming to have uh, to cover every STEM subject first um, and add all the lessons that we need to add and all that. It's going to take time. And so but people who are using the product love it. And, and we're just asking them to be patient so that we can continue adding content. But yeah, I'm just very excited. And I'm sure we're going to find a lot of obstacles in the way. But I feel like we are going in the right direction. We have the right mindset. Like, you know, if it doesn't work, we'll pivot. If something else comes up, then we'll, we'll adapt. We'll, which you don't see that attitude in the traditional school system. So that's why I decided to join this startup. And that's why I love it because we're constantly exploring and, and we're focusing on the things that we know are true about kids and how they learn. No, I think it's beautiful. When um, Synthesis first launched, my husband was so excited. He was like running through the house showing me. And he's like, I can't wait. They're going to be once they're old enough, we're going to sign them up. Yes. And this is like such an incredible supplementation for whatever mm -hmm. we decide to do. Mm -hmm. And it's pretty incredible because I've seen some of the videos. And it, even though obviously digital is not the same as being in person, it's still like you see them working together and you see their faces light up and you see like how proud they are, they are of themselves and the team when they succeed through something. So they mm -hmm. are building friendships. And I, I do honestly think that that's going to be pretty normal in the future is that there mm -hmm. will probably be a lot of digital relationships that mm -hmm. aren't necessarily ever met in person, right? Mm -hmm. It's just who who knows, but we kind of already see that now. And then yep. with AI, it's like Mark Andreessen is a really big proponent of that. We're going to have, we already, we already have a very intimate relationship with our device. We just don't really recognize it as such, right? Mm -hmm. How many of us, like my phone's right here, our phone, yeah. our social media, all of that. So it's going to be the, the next evolution of that. So yep. I think it's a beautiful way for people that maybe are trying to piecemeal some kind of 
custom education for their kid, whether it's like homeschool or a pod, Mm -hmm. to still incorporate other kids from Mm -hmm. around the world that they can work together on things and Mm -hmm. and still build relationships. So for me, that was one of the most, that's one of the biggest hurdles that I'm trying to, or maybe even fears that I'm trying to overcome is if we did something like a pod or if we did something like, like homeschooling, making sure that he has opportunities to develop relationships outside Mm -hmm. because that's Mm -hmm. really important to them to be able to exist on their own. Of course. I think a lot about that as well, because I'm obviously planning on like doing some alternative things with my, my child. I don't want to send him to traditional school unless he turns out like his dad and he's begging (laughs) me to go to school. I'm going to be like, by all means, if you want to try it out, go. But I, I think about that a lot. I And what I've come to the conclusion is that it's super, what matters the most really is where you decide to live. And so I, I love bouncing around and my husband's pretty open to that as well. Um, and so we were always like, yeah, we love moving around and this and that. And we can do that a lot now that he's younger. Like you said, I don't th- plan on doing any kind of like structured um, formal schooling until he's like seven or eight. And then, you know, we'll see where we take it from there. However, I do think that the the environment that we end up when he's around that age, and especially in his teenager years, is super important. Who he's surrounding himself with, et cetera, et cetera. So even more important than school, because what I've realized with socializing in school is that it's very fabricated. And and again, it's it's changed a lot since you and I were in school. Like now things are, um, there's a quote in my book that says that, you know, kids nowadays in school have twice as many restrictions as incarcerated felons which is insane. It's insane. And so the amount of times that they that they get to actually socialize without getting in trouble is very small. And recess has been cut back. Like most schools have like 15 minutes of recess, which is not nearly enough. Um, You know, by the time you get to recess, it's like already time to come back. And so I, I feel like also, you know, you're putting kids in an environment like you're you're segregating them by age and putting them, you know, when in the real world do you only interact with people your age? Nowhere. Mm-hmm. Like all I can only think of in school. And so we're teaching them that that's the way that you socialize. But in the real world, that's not how you socialize. You socialize with people that are older than you, that are wiser than you, or people that are younger than you, people in the community, people from all different, you know. And and I feel like when you put your kids in this classroom, sometimes they don't relate to anybody in that classroom because it just turns, yeah, there are 30 kids, but but maybe they don't connect with any of those 30 kids. And they actually would connect very well with the older ones or the younger ones or the ones in their neighborhood. And so what I like about technology is that I think that it allows for this kind of things to happen, you know, like if, if you know, we live in different places, but we're, we're able to have this wonderful conversation right now where I'm learning from you, you're learning from me, and, and people listening to this hopefully are learning too, but this wouldn't be possible if it weren't for the internet. And what I've learned is that in the past, since I left the school system, my world kind of expanded and the, the amount of amazing people that have enriched my life in this past four years, they all come from the internet. And I've been able to actually now meet them in the real world. Many of them, they've become some of my best friends now them, you know, and, and it's incredible because I, I don't know, I, I don't think I would have met any of these people, the people that I'm working with, the people that I'm friends with now, like uh, most of them come that I found online. And then, you know, because it's easier to find people that you can connect with. And I think that kids really understand this. And that's why some of them love to spend time online because they're like, I, I'm relating to people that are more similar to me, right? And that have similar interests that I, you know, maybe this kid is one is in Panama and the other one's in India, but but they happen to click. You can't really do that if you're stuck with only the people, you know, and also it exposes you to different cultures and, you know, you're not just stuck with the people of your same demographic. And so I think there's a true beauty to that. And I think that, I, I don't think that, that, that we should go all online or that it should all be, no, absolutely not. I think that 
done right, it, what it does is it opens up the possibility for kids to spend more time in person with other kids, with other members in the community, doing things outdoors, et cetera, because you're able to use technology to effectively cover processes in learning or whatever in a shorter span. Right. So that's why I'm so excited about it. It's not that I, I, I believe that everything should be online. Like, absolutely not. I believe in mm-hmm. human relations and, and, you know, physical contact and all that. So. So, yeah. Yeah. I think using technology, there's I see a lot of a lot of benefit. And I think it's very easy to focus on like the doom and gloom of all of it. But if you just compare the hours and I, we touched a little bit on it earlier, which is the idea of giving the kids their childhood back, which is so powerful. I mean, you're in school for eight plus hours a day, especially if you're doing extracurriculars and you're signed up for this club and that club. And then you have homework, which is bullshit. I mean, if you look at the rest of the world, the schools that are doing the best, the kids that are doing the best do not have homeschool that whole concept or I'm sorry, homework. It doesn't make any sense to me. But if you could get everything done in such a short amount of time, like really condense it and think the average homeschooling time is like three hours a day. So three compared Mm -hmm. to eight. Mm -hmm. Now you have the rest of the day to follow your curiosity, go Mm -hmm. play in the woods, go play in the dirt, go like, right, experience the real world and actually have your feet touch grass, which to me is so important in that era, in that stage of your life. So Mm -hmm. it's a tool and it's however you decide to use it, whether it's going to be used to keep you warm or burn something down. It's absolutely exactly. And Um, yeah, one thing about that, that I want to mention is that some parents are like, oh yeah, and then you can enroll them in this and enroll them in that and enroll them. And and I just want to make sure that, that I, that's not what I mean. Um, you can do that, but I feel like one of the big problems nowadays is that every kids are overscheduled. Like mm-hmm. kids schedule, some of the kids that I that I used to teach, they were busier than like CEOs of companies. Like they, I was like, when does this kid have a chance to like take a, a mini break? Like it was just back to back, like you said, like school for eight hours and then or seven hours and then after school, then the other after school, then maths, then tutoring, then this, then homework, and then like family time and then go to bed. It's like when do kids like it's so important for the learning process and and just to develop as like healthy humans to have downtime that's mm-hmm. when you have creative breakthroughs and that's where most ideas that's where you have ideas when you're showering right because you're like you know not doing anything and it's sort of like a moment where your mind is just and then boop, like things pop up right because you're, you're taking a break and so i think that's so important and kids barely have time that nowadays like like being bored by inactivity is actually a good thing some parents are like no 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 if they're bored we need to no it's like or 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 they'll start doing you know bad things or this and that and i don't mean like oh they come back from this three hours of learning and then just let them no you you need to obviously talk to them and enroll them in a few things and have a little bit of structure of what they're going to be spending their time on sometimes so because some kids will just sit down and start playing video games for eight hours that's not the point like like, of course, you need parent involvement there, but I think that kids need more time to just do what kids used to do in the past, like free play and exploration and just, you know, not adult led activities all the time. So so that, you know, that's something that I just wanted to throw quickly in there. No, that's super important. I see the same thing. And it's exhausting to even look at like let your kid be a kid there's plenty of time to perform later Mm -hmm. for them to enter like the rat race if they decide to do that but you don't Mm -hmm. have to do that at three four or five Mm -hmm. that makes no sense to Mm -hmm. me with a lot of parents deciding to take alternative paths and we do have some schools even some like more traditional schools that are getting rid of grades and they're doing more of just like a competency test test of sorts assessment Mm -hmm. 
what does that mean for higher education? Like, what does that mean for college? Does college shift? Does that become more trade-based or Mm -hmm. like, does it shift to more of like a lifelong subscription? Kind of like if you were to join a masterclass or like, where do you see college ending up? Yeah. So, so this is a very interesting question. So, well, first, what I realized when I was doing, when I, when I left the school system and started doing research, it turns out that, because I was like, well, homeschoolers sometimes don't take a lot of these tests that we're taking in school. So how come, you know, there are a bunch of homeschoolers that end up in all these Ivy Leagues and this and that? And it turns out that, you know, every college and, and especially Ivy Leagues, they have a whole chunk of admissions that are just for homeschoolers. And so the way that homeschooling works, um, well, most of the time is that they submit a, a portfolio to their local board of, the, the local school board with different things. Sometimes they have tests or business plans, songs, essays, like just it's a, kind of like a variety of things, which I think is such a great way to assess a child, right? Because you're giving them the opportunity to showcase what they know in different ways other than a test. And so colleges are already ready for that. In terms of, and, and we think a lot about this at Synthesis, because of course we want to have some way to track what, you know, the skills that the kids are learning and how much, and you know, how they're progressing and, and for them to be able to see, you know, where was I a month ago and, and how have I evolved? Like that's super important, that reflection component and to see how you're advancing. And in a way that is there for them in a portal or something that can stay with them for the rest of their lives and that they can sort of like have with them to show for whatever it is that they're going to be doing. And it's hard. It's really hard to do because we don't want to fall into the trap of what schools have been doing, like measurement and assessment and this and that. And and it's taking us time because we want to make sure we do it the right way. So I think that there are schools and and, and different, like you said, like doing things a little bit differently and assessing kids a little bit differently. and, And colleges are being open to it. I think that there's still a lot of push for, you know, the SATs and like certain baseline um, tests, which I think that, you know, you, you can have those, but but lower the stakes and not make them as important as they are. Right now, it's sort of like the thing that gets you into college. Of course, there are other little things, but it's super important. And I think that it shouldn't have that much importance. I think we should maybe have it because it does measure sort of like a baseline of where you are in certain subjects. But I think there, there should be way more things. When it comes to actual college, I think we're going to see a big shift in the next few, especially when our kids are college age. I think that a lot of colleges are actually going to end up going away. I think that maybe the, you know, the ones that have been around for many, many years and the Ivy Leagues and the Harvards, et cetera, not those. Uh, I think that that but I think that that a lot of them are because what people are starting to realize, especially with COVID and everything, is that you can do your continuous learning um, after high school or even dropping out of high school by enrolling in things that are more skill based um, and and or taking a gap year and actually starting to work right away and then realizing, oh, I want to get better at this and that. And then like I remember I decided to do that and then I never ended up doing my master's because I was like, I don't. I, I don't I don't need to do my master's like I don't see at first I was like I have to I have to but it, it was like sort of this um, mentality that I have because my parents would tell me and society and this and that but when I realized I was like wait it, all that money and all that time can be spent writing my book or doing all this like doing things that actually matter like I don't need the, like I don't need to do my master's and so that was a decision that I made and I think that a lot of people are starting to realize the same with college like college so many parents that I talk to are like, well, but I need to send my kid to traditional school and they need to take all these tests because otherwise, you know, it's all for college. And I'm like, college is not the answer because college is not, it's not an answer. It's a place 
that may or may not come with more opportunity, but it may also come with a huge debt. We've seen all these people. And and if you think about degrees, they're not worth what they were worth before. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people are graduating and they're just following the common course of action, right? Which is you go to college, they go into this horrible debt, and then they have these degrees that mean nothing. And they end up working on things that, you know, have nothing to do with their degrees and getting paid like shitty jobs and and just, you know, with this massive debt that hunts them for the rest of their lives. Like that cannot be the goal. Like that cannot, that's messed up. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people are starting to notice that. A lot of people are starting to notice that they can make it on their own by doing things differently. And you're starting to see emerge different paths that are starting to become more acceptable. They've been there for a while, but now they're starting to become more acceptable, especially after COVID. And so I think that, you know, for for, for my kids, for example, I, I would very much encourage a gap year because I think that how is it that we Drive kids from engaging in the productive world for 18 years. And then we're like, again, he, voila, open the doors. And, and they don't know what to do. Like, I feel like they, 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 they have to, and I don't mean like child labor and having, no, I, I just mean like, if yeah, getting them involved since they're younger, doing something in the actual productive world. And then they can start to have a sense of what they like, what they enjoy doing. How many adults do you know that have gone to college and end up in jobs and they're like 30 something. And suddenly they realize, wow, I hate my life. I hate my job. I don't know how I ended up here. Like what? Like what? How did I go through all these motions and this and that and all these years studying and now I hate what I do? I didn't know any better. You know, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I hate this. Mm-hmm. What if we exposed kids in a way, um, you know, uh, from a younger age to what it's like to work in this kind of environment so that they can determine if this is what they want to spend their time on before they decide to devote four years of their lives or I don't know, doctors, you know, 10 years, whatever. I think that that's way more productive. So I think that we're going to start to see a a shift there. We're going to have more alternatives. Less people are probably going to, and again, I'm not against college. I went to college and it worked for me and and I'm not going to, you know, steer my kid away from college. I'm just going to be like, hey, what, what, there are many options. Like, is this what you want to do? Is this what you want? Then, then sure. But, and we'll see what are the options, you know, 18 years from now. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's sort of, you know, where my thoughts are around college. Yeah. That's refreshing to hear. I think it's, it's still really surprising to me when you see parents that are still really bought into the very old school promise that we were given, which is you go to school for four years, you're going to get a job, you're going to pay off the debt, you're going to love what you do, and you're going to retire at 65 with that same job. None of that applies anymore. Like You're not promised a job. So many people cannot pay off their debt. They can't get a job in that field or they hate their job and they feel it's like a sunken cost fallacy because now they've spent $100,000 on a degree. How do you then justify going back to school to do something else? Because you're like, well, what if I end up hating doing that too? So there has to be a third route, like at least, you know, another option that we're not looking at because this other one's not working for so many people. And you know what? This reminds me to something that I talk a lot about in my book, which is this idea around quitting. If you look at the data, it shows that people have around a dozen different jobs in their lifetime. Um, And yet this idea of quitting is very much stigmatized and looked as a negative thing. When we're growing up, what do we teach kids? We teach kids the importance of perseverance and and sticking to things. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. But if you're persevering in the wrong direction, 
you're better off quitting. And we don't teach kids that. And so I think it's equally important to teach them that it's okay to let go of the things that don't fit them well or that they don't enjoy doing. And they can do it often until they find what they like. And we can teach them how to do it. You know, we teach them don't quit because it's hard or, you know, like, you know, I, I first sort of changed my mind around this when I heard this HBS professor, Deepak Mahaltra, who's now a friend of mine, that said, quit early, quit often, not because it's hard, but because it sucks. And I'm like, yes, that's what we need to teach kids. Maybe not with that language, but we need to tell them that, you know, if don't, don't quit because something's hard, but quit if it's not a right fit. Why? Because you may be saying no to other things that are a better fit. And so I feel like a lot of people, a lot of adults are scared to let go of something that's not working because of the fear of, you know, I'm not a quitter. Quitter are losers. And, and again, it's one of those messages that has been reinforced over and over and over again by parents, by teachers, by schools, that it's not true. And that I think we would be better off on learning. And so there are ways to do this. And I share a bunch of strategies in, 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 in my book of how to teach kids to quit once the right way, like when to persevere and when to quit. There's like a thin, a thin line there. But I feel like a lot of a lot more people would be happier. Like I know a lot of my friends would be happier if they just let go of the things that they're doing now, but they're very scared. They're like, I, I don't know, you know, I'm scared of what would happen. And it's like, well, you get to start again. And, and that's the other thing. Like, you know, I talk often about like how we should not ask kids when they're little, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, and they're like, oh, the fireman and they're learning. Because what we're teaching them is that, you know, as if growing up, we're finite, you know, as if you choose this one thing and you have to stick to that and that sort of defines who you are. And it's like, no, you get to be and do many things. So instead of talking about what you want to be, you know, be, it's like, what do you want to do? What do you love doing? You get to try this and this and this and this. Also, like we said, um, two thirds of the kids going through grade school right now will end up doing jobs that haven't been invented. And so instead of saying like, these are the alternatives, what if they wanted, you know, who would know, who would have said that you could have been a YouTuber, right? Like that wasn't a job <laughs> when I was younger. And so if you sort of teach them like, you know, your future self hasn't been invented yet, you know, what you want to end up one of the things that you want to end up doing hasn't been invented. And so that mentality is like, okay, you help them discover the things that they like and focus on what they're good at. And you focus on trying different things and exploring and you can quit the ones that you don't like, but you don't have to stick to this one thing. And it's not your identity. It's not who you are. You get a second mm -hmm. chance, you know, you, and if you try something and you don't like it, you get to quit and try something else until you, until you find what you like. I really believe in this idea of reinventing yourself and, and, and everyone has the power of unlearning things. And I don't feel like, you know, like things are the end. If you try something, it doesn't work. You can start again. You can start over. I'm a big believer of that. Oh, I love that so much. Um, I guess as we wrap up, what is, what's the biggest thing that you've unlearned? Um, well, the idea of fitting in, um, you know, we talked, we started the conversation with my story and, and, and I shared that what I felt like I had to do in order for people to like me and in order to um, thrive and make, you know, was I had to fit in. I had to be like everybody else. I had to talk like I would, you know, people were like, wait, that's not your accent. How come you, you picked up on this accent and this accent? And now, like, people don't know where I'm from because I try to, you know, emulate everything. And so that was sort of like my my way of trying to survive and try to cope. But then I realized that 
I'm, I'm way better off like standing out from the crowd and that the real world, regardless of what you know, school teaches you to fit in, but the real world rewards people who stand out from the crowd and who break from the pack and who are not scared to think differently. Like those are the people that find those creative breakthroughs and, and those ideas that are really revolutionary and that, you know, those that go against the grind, the rebels in school, like those are the people that I now admire the most. And so, and I think that that's why I was so inclined to the rebels in my classroom, in my classroom or like the troublemakers, because they were so passionate about what they were doing that was different from what they were supposed to be doing. And I commend that. I think we should be more like that. And so the biggest lesson I've unlearned is trying to fit in. I realize that I'm way better off and I get to do what I love and, 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 you know, be good at it because I'm doing something different and I'm sort of following my God. So I guess that. No, that's incredible. This was amazing. I actually just ordered your book before you hopped on, so I cannot wait to read it. I'm like, I feel like it's going to answer so many of these lingering questions that I've had around education. Or give you more questions. (laughs) Or maybe give me more questions, but it will start to steer me in the direction that I'm supposed to be in. Before we take off, can you tell the listeners where they can follow you, how they can support you? I'm assuming your book is probably available everywhere. I just got it off Amazon two seconds ago. So yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, my book is out. There's a collection of my work for the past years, um, has a lot of questions that will hopefully make you reflect and rethink education for yourself. And it's available anywhere online and also in bookstores near you. Um, I'm very active on Twitter. Um, my handle's Anna Fabrega 11. I'm also on Instagram, Miss Fab underscore learning lab. That's what my students used to call me. I'm also on YouTube and, and yeah, find me on Spotify. I do a lot of podcasts. I don't have my own, but I go on a lot of podcasts. So So yeah, and this has been so wonderful, Candice. Your questions were great. We're on the same page. Uh, Thank you so much. And I will make sure I link all of those resources below for everyone. Anna, thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you, Candice. And that's it for this week's episode of Chatting with Candice. Before you go, if you could leave a five-star review, if you haven't done one in a while or you haven't done one at all, it takes a minute. You click the little five stars and that helps me out. And if you're feeling like you have some extra time and some extra love to give, type something nice and maybe I'll retweet it and uh, read it on air for the next one. And I think that's all. Oh, check out the links below. Support our guests, support the affiliates and sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye.